Welcome to the 231st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Winograd, once again for this week. Uh, in this edition, our topics are an overview of my weekend predictions, a look at week 7 of college football, a look at week 6 in the NFL, and a look at MLB with postseason action both in the NLDS, the ALDS, uh, and obviously the championship series in both leagues as well. But let's jump right in, starting with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Uh, it will start in the NFL, where I went 3-1, and one, and then in college football, I went 4-0. and oh, So overall, 7-1, and one, 827 and 554 overall, a 59.9% winning percentage. Uh, very happy about my predictions this week. Obviously, I did well, so not really anything to be mad about. I only lost on the Niners missing a game-winning field goal, um, so overall, that's pretty good result. Um, but the Ravens started off the week right in the NFL by beating the Titans in London, 24-16. to uh, They had a big halftime lead. The Titans got back into it by outscoring the Ravens 10 to nothing in the third, but the Ravens did end up closing out that game and did take home the win, which I predicted correctly. Uh, the Bengals and the Seahawks played a really interesting game, but the Seahawks... I just really couldn't convert anything in the red zone after their first touchdown, and as a result, they lost. They went for it twice on fourth and goal um, towards the end of the game with, I think, less than three or four minutes left both times against uh, the Bengals, but they didn't get it either time. And uh, obviously, you could make the case that they could have kicked the field goal, but it's much safer to go for it on fourth and goal, try to get six yards rather than kick a field goal, hope you get the onside kick or the stop and then go back down and get another field goal anyway. So they definitely made the right move. It just didn't end up paying off. And in hindsight, you might say, well, if they had known that they were going to get another possession, they could have just kicked two field goals. But who knew Who knew that they were going to get the other uh, possession? And, you know, maybe the Bengals change up some play calls and get the first down to seal the game if, if the game was on the line on that first down rather than... Um, just needing to give up, just needing to hold the Seahawks to under a touchdown, just a field goal wouldn't do enough. Um, but regardless, the Bengals won that game. I picked that correctly. Uh, as I talked about before, Jake Moody missed a game-winning field goal, I think from 41 yards out against the Browns after really big comeback with a lot of players injured on both sides. Deshaun Watson did not play from the start. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel got injured in the middle of the game. There were some other players that I'm can't remember, but they weren't skill position players for the Niners. Uh, but those two were definitely the most important that were out. Uh, and Brock Purdy didn't have his best game without all of his weapons available. Had had some good throws to Brandon Ayuk. Um, and overall, just no real offensive flow on either side in this game due to some really, really good defenses um, that we have with those two. Maybe the best two defenses in the league between the Browns and the Niners. Um, but regardless, the Browns were led by P.J. Walker to the comeback uh, and ended up going down, getting the game-winning score. Uh, and then the Niners did have their chance with time left to go down and get a field goal of their own to win the game, but they weren't able to do that. And as a result, it is the Browns who came up victorious and gave me my only loss, my predictions for the week. Uh, then you had the Lions who went on the road and beat the Buccaneers. Buccaneers playing with their creamsicle jerseys. I have no opinion on that. I think they look okay. I'm not I'm not the biggest orange guy, but that's it, it's a cool look. I'll, I'll say that. It, it fits the Florida vibe. Um, but... Aside from my uniform commentary, Jared Goff was great in this game, had 350 yards passing, um, and the Buccaneers just couldn't really get anything going on the, against the Lions offensively. Uh, that defense has looked really, really good, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and then in college football, 
Some great games this weekend, some not great games. I'll start with the two blowouts. Number 17, Duke beat NC State 24-3. This game was supposed to be close. It was supposed to be even closer knowing that Riley Leonard got injured. Uh, but Duke cruised to a victory even with a backup quarterback in the game. Um, so not much to say about that one. And then number 21, Notre Dame beat number 10, USC 48-20. to USC had fallen like five or six spots from the beginning of the season in the AP poll without losing a game, which just goes to show you that that probably means they were due to lose a game at some point if everybody is pretty consistent with the consensus that they've just been getting worse as the season has gone on or other teams are at least looking better than them. It, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're worse, obviously. Uh, but look, that's the fact of the matter. They had looked worse. Their defense looked terrible all season long. Um, and in this game, Caleb Williams threw three interceptions and... Uh, Based on how USC's defense had been playing all year long, if you had told me before the game that um, he was going to throw three interceptions, I would have told you they might have lost by 40. Uh, they did almost lose by 30. They lost 48-20 to 20 in the end. But, yeah, those interceptions were costly, and USC's defense wasn't really stopping Notre Dame in the first place. Um, so a 48-20 to 20 victory for Notre Dame. Uh, a good win for them, but it was a blowout. And then you have number 15, Oregon State, who beat number 18, UCLA, 36-24. to uh, Dante Moore really couldn't get anything going in this game for a while. It was at the end of the game that UCLA kind of made a rally, started putting more points on the board, and made it a little closer. Uh, but Oregon State still came away with a pretty, pretty comfortable win at home against a ranked team. And then you had the game of the week, maybe the game of the year so far, Washington against Oregon, number 7 versus number 8. A good old-fashioned Pacific Northwest rivalry. Uh, that will now not be a Pac-12 rivalry anymore. It will become a Big Ten rivalry, but it will still be played definitely every year because I don't think teams will want to travel all the way up there. They are just fine, and they're probably just fine not traveling to the Midwest. Um, but 36-33, Washington did win that game. It, I mean, look, this is one of those games where I'm just not, I, I can't talk about it. Like, just go back and watch it. Michael Penix was injured in this game. He was fighting through a lot and ended up, kind of gutting them to gutting Washington to the win on a game-winning drive, but then they let too much time on the clock. Oregon had a chance to tie it up and send it to overtime. They missed the field goal. Uh, Oregon also went for it, I think, three different times on fourth down, one that probably would have sealed the game uh, just time management-wise, but they didn't get it on any of those. Um, one of them was because they were down by four, uh, and they were in the red zone, so they wanted to get a touchdown rather than just a field goal. But a lot. Of, I think hindsight is the thing that's going to decide what people think about Dan Lanning's decisions in those game in that game but I think in on an individual basis he might have made the right call every single time um but at the same time when you talk about going for it that many times overall it ends up looking bad when you don't get any of them by the end of the game uh and especially when you lose the, the game by that close of a margin you really think hey we could have used any of those field goals at any different point in the game would have been tied and we would that field goal we would have been attempting wouldn't have been to tie the game it would have been to win the game um, but regardless, Oregon got the loss on the road to Washington, but they are still a very good team. They have a chance to rebound. Um, a lot of those teams will play USC in the rest of the year. They will play. I mean, look, I, I had five ranked Pac-12 teams that I was talking about this week. They were all in the top 20. They will play each other. So Washington is not out of the thick of things yet. Uh, and Oregon still has a chance to make it back to the Pac-12 championship force, a rematch with Washington. I would love to see that because I think it would be a great game if they played it again in Vegas uh, with both fans there. But regardless, my predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, and we will now move to college football, starting with the best games of Week 7, and we will actually start with that Oregon-Washington game. And since I kind of already mentioned it, I will just say that was definitely the best game of the weekend, if not of the season, like I already said. Um, just 
it was just such a close game. It was so fun to watch. Just both teams are very explosive offensively. Oregon didn't look so great in the on the really the first I'd say like four or five possessions defensively. Um, and you know ESPN put up the graphic about how they were top six in the FBS in points allowed, yards opponent yards per play, uh, passing yards per game against, and they just didn't really look that good in this game. But that's just how good Washington's offense is, and Oregon did to their credit only give up fourteen in the second half, which. Washington might not score more than 14 in the second half normally, but it's normally because they're already up by 30 or 40 points and their foot's off the gas pedal. This game, they needed to keep scoring, and Oregon did a good job of limiting them. Uh, but, you know, when it mattered the most, though, Michael Penix had, had the game-winning drive for Washington, and that propelled them to the victory. Uh, then you have Alabama, who barely escaped with a victory over 2-4 and four Arkansas, 24-21. Uh, to 21. Look, I said last week, I don't normally give betting advice, but I said there is no way in the world that Alabama is covering a 20-point spread over Arkansas. They barely got to 20 points in the first place. Um, this game, was, it was 21-6 to at the half, to be fair. They were on pace to easily cover uh, that line. But Arkansas made a, made a charge in the second half. Alabama ended up, I think they were actually up 24-6 to um, before Arkansas had even scored their first touchdown at the second half. But Arkansas had the ball twice with an opportunity to drive down the field in the fourth quarter and take the lead over Alabama, or at least tie it up with a field goal. Uh, they weren't able to do so, and then Alabama ran out the clock. But I will say, this game, it's just, that's not, look, Arkansas may be the best 2-5 and five team in the country. I think they probably are. But that's not a team you want to be playing close with if you're Alabama. Uh, and it doesn't reflect too too well upon them in terms of, the eye test for the college football playoff. There are so many teams that only have one loss right now, so ha having that on your resume, I mean, look, you have Oregon State, you have USC, who's only lost Notre Dame. Notre Dame's played a ridiculous schedule. You have you have Ohio State, you have Washington, you have Florida State, you have Michigan, you have Georgia. They're all undefeated. I probably left somebody out in there, probably about Oklahoma. Um, Alabama being a one-loss team already doesn't help them, but the fact that this is their eye test in the other games, it, it, it's even worse. They're not showing that they're a dominant team they probably would have to win the SEC. Uh, no, not probably. They would have to win the SEC to make it into the playoff, and I'm not also sure that that would even be enough. I mean, it would be rare to not have the SEC champion in it, but based on how things have gone this year, if it's between them and Texas, uh, and then Oklahoma and Georgia, who would have lost those two, you'd have to pick Texas because Texas went on the road to Alabama and beat them. Uh, but that's a scenario way down the line. I don't even think it's going to come down to that. Uh, but speaking of the SEC in that race, Number 19, Tennessee beat Texas A&M 20-13. Uh, same story here. Texas A&M had many opportunities to drive down the field and win the game. They were not able to do so. Their offense was stuck in the mud all game long. Uh, I'm kind of impressed with Tennessee's defense. They've really picked up an offense that has not been a typical hype offense. It has been lacking. Um, and if their offense doesn't pick it up, they're not going to they're not gonna escape the season with any record better than 8-4, and 9-3. Um, if their offense is able to pick it up, maybe they can get to 10 wins again, but we will see. Uh, but that's all I got for the best games. That game, wasn't able to watch too much of it, but I do know that it was close and I was monitoring it throughout, so I can't make that much commentary, but it was definitely a close game. Uh, then, in most impressive teams of Week 7, LSU and Auburn. I saw a lot of people think that Auburn was on was going to upset, not, maybe not was going to upset LSU, but that it could have been an upset alert for LSU. Uh, I talked about that Arkansas-Alabama line. Auburn going into the week was 3-2. and two. LSU going into the week was 4-2. and two. Number 22 in the country. Alabama, obviously, ele number 11 uh, at 5-1. and one. 
Alabama favored by 20. LSU was only favored by 11 and a half in this game. So it wasn't supposed to be um, a, a, a blowout at all. But LSU came out and destroyed Auburn. They were up 17 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. That's when I turned the game off because I knew it was over. Uh, they ended up winning 48 to 18. But this is a really good result for LSU, especially considering the fact that Auburn only, I think, I don't remember if it was last, I think it was last week actually, uh, that Auburn had a lead over Georgia for most of the game and only lost that game 27 to 20. So it's not like Auburn is terrible. This is a decent team. Um, it's hard to blow them out, clearly. Uh, I, I don't know if maybe some of that was a letdown from the fact that they were so close against Georgia and then they didn't pull it out. But look, LSU deserves a lot of credit for destroying Auburn and Notre Dame deserves a lot of credit for destroying USC because they had almost the same margin of victory, but they were playing the number 10 team in the country. Um, Notre Dame, though, obviously, as I said, 48-20 to 20 over USC. I talked about Caleb Williams' three interceptions. Uh, Notre Dame had a 24-6 to 6 halftime lead. Uh, USC made it close in the second half a little bit, uh, but I, I really never felt like it was quite in doubt, I would say. I mean, 31-13 felt like USC had some momentum after they scored again to make it that score, but Notre Dame closed it out in the fourth quarter easily. Uh, then you have Oregon State, like I said. They dominated this game. They were up 13 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They were up 23-10 to at the end of the first half. Uh, they were up 36 to 17 at the end of the third quarter. And like I said, UCLA got their offense going late, but it just wasn't enough uh, against a team as goes Oregon State. Uh, I talked about Duke beating NC State already. All the sc- They were up 17 to 3 at the half, didn't need to do anything. Their defense, though, my, I mean, this defense is ridiculous that Duke has right now. Uh, that's why they're on this list. I mean, you see Notre Dame putting up 48 against a team that was top 10 heading into the week. Notre Dame struggled to put points on the board against Duke. They had really two good possessions and then one end-of-the-game possession where they had to have a miracle, uh, I think it was a 4th and 18 or 4th and 16 conversion, to take the lead in that game. Duke's defense is special. I mean, they, they're they definitely up there um, it, with really the best teams in the country, the Michigans of the world, um, for the best defense. I, I don't think that you could put them anywhere outside of the top 10, maybe even outside of the top 5. I'd have to... Have to look more into the stats specifically, but they have—they at least have a top 10 defense in the country. Um, and then you have North Carolina, who won 41-31. Game ended up looking closer than it actually was in the second half because Miami was up 17-14 to at the half, but North Carolina had a great response. They came out, blanked Miami in the third quarter, outscoring them 21-0 uh, in that quarter to take a 35-17 to lead into the fourth. Miami made it closer at the end, like I said, but... That game could have been a little bit more of a blowout in terms of the final score. It just didn't happen to end up that way. Uh, but Tez Walker had a great game after the NCAA finally let him play, even though he should have been playing the whole season. Um, but North Carolina overall looked really good on offense. Everything was clicking for them. And I think that th- that's also a team that, I mean, they, they can challenge Florida State. They don't play them in the regular season. Duke does. That's next weekend. Um, but I, I think that that would be a really interesting championship game matchup i would look forward to that um we'll see though what happens with north carolina and and duke because obviously they play that rivalry game at the end of the season as well um that will be a good game to look forward to that dynamic offense against duke's dynamic defense um but after that look we finally had some upsets this week i'm happy it's college football pandemonium uh i'm mad that it made it so hard to rank teams because there were some really bad losses that i felt like almost deserved, made it so that a team deserved to just have no spot in the rankings. 
But we will start with Missouri beating number 24, Kentucky. This one maybe you could say isn't really an upset, but because both teams were 5-1 and one heading into the game. Uh, Missouri was ranked last week, Kentucky ranked this week. But the fact of the matter is, a ranked team played an unranked team at home, and the unranked team won. Um, and Missouri, by the way, looked really good in this game. They were down 14 to nothing after the first quarter, but their defense stepped up for the rest of the game, only gave up one third-quarter touchdown, and their offense in the second quarter exploded to end up taking a 17-14 lead into the half uh, and ended up winning the game 38-21 to after putting up 18 points in the fourth quarter against Kentucky. So a great road win for Missouri, a team that looks really good, especially when you consider how LSU has looked the past two weeks. Uh, LSU, again, only has that lo- only has those losses, excuse me, to Florida State, and then that really close one to Ole Miss. Uh, and they had a close win over Missouri last week. Missouri is definitely a top 25 team. Uh, they barely lost that game to LSU, and now they have this road win over Kentucky as well. Uh, and they're bull eligible, and I would like to pat myself on the back for that because I don't think their over-under was that high heading into the season. I know that it was probably around five and a half or six, but I said Missouri was a, as a, a surprise, excuse me, a surprise contender um, in the SEC, and I had them going seven and five from the beginning. I did have them losing to Kentucky, so they are already one win ahead of where I think they should be in terms of being on schedule. They do have tough games left. They have Georgia, they have Florida, they have an, a game at Arkansas that probably will be pretty tough too. Um, those are the three that I have them losing, actually. But look, I had them starting out. I had them doing well. It's kind of similar to uh, Rutgers, where I have Rutgers actually starting five and two, and then I think losing the remainder of their games and ending up five and seven. But the fact of the matter is, this is still a good team, and I think they, they, they'll probably win their bowl game as well. Um, Eli Drinkwitz has done a great job with this program uh, and just keeping it at a sustainable level. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Missouri can ever get back to that level where they're an SEC championship contender again because they are in the weaker division. They just have Georgia at the top. So if they could ever, you know, pull off one upset against Georgia, you never know what could happen, although I guess it doesn't matter anymore because they might be eliminating divisions with the new conference realignment. Um, But I was going to say, speaking of conference realignment, these two teams have nothing to do with realignment, although they did realign in the past. Pitt and Louisville. Pitt was 1-4 on the season going into this game. Louisville 6-0, and somehow Pitt pulls off the 38-21 upset on CW Network. I obviously did not watch a single minute of this game, but um, I'm shocked. I I will just, honestly, I'll leave it at that. But the reason why I'm only leaving it at shocked is because I'm utterly shocked by the fact that Arizona went on the road and beat Washington State 44-6. That is ridiculous. I mean, look, Arizona's a good team. They're a 4-3 team. Uh, They might make a bowl game after all this somehow, but... The fact of the matter is, they have lost games. They lost a close game to USC. I get it. They lost a close game to Washington. I get it. They lost in overtime to Mississippi State. Okay, maybe they're the best 4-3 and three team in the country. It's possible. But the fact of the matter is, going on the road and beating a ranked team 44-6 doesn't happen with like the number one team in the country. This is crazy for an unranked team to go on the road and upset the number 19 team in the country and just flat out embarrass them. Um, but credit to Arizona. I mean... This game, frankly, I didn't even watch much of this game because it was over so quickly. It was 10-6 to 6 at the end of the first quarter, uh, but then it was 20-6 to 6 at the end of the second, and they just kept piling on. Washington State literally only scored in the first quarter. Arizona getting 10-10-10-14 and 14, uh, by quarter scoring. So that's ridiculous. Uh, Arizona has played above expectations all year long, and they're pretty good. Um, and then speaking of playing above expectations, 
Kansas didn't have Jalen Daniels again. He's been in and out of the lineup all season long with a back injury, uh, and it cost them this weekend. Uh, Alan Bowman led Oklahoma State to a 39-32 victory over Kansas. All of a sudden, they are near the top of the Big 12. I think they were one of the teams I talked about before the season that just had such a light schedule that regardless of how talented they actually are, it would just be hard to see them not end up at least somewhere in the middle of the conference. Um, I had them 7-5 and and 4-5 and in conference, but I I trust Mike Gundy that he's able to at least get a team uh, to a bowl game regardless of the talent level. They've been switching between three quarterbacks all year, but now that they've finally settled on Allen Bowman, uh, it seems like they have had some better results. He beat Kansas State and he beat Kansas now who were, well, Kansas wasn't ranked, excuse me, Kansas State wasn't ranked at the time, but they were ranked the week before. Uh, and then Kansas was ranked at the time of this upset. But we'll see what Oklahoma State does in the rest of the season. Maybe the biggest challenger to Oklahoma at this point um, in terms of just the rest of Oklahoma's schedule because it's pretty light. Um, but that's all I got for college football. I mean, it's not like I didn't talk for a while. There was definitely a lot there, and the season is only just now heating up to that final stretch. But now I will move on to the NFL with the look at the closest games of Week 6 starting with the Ravens, who beat the Titans. Like I said, they were up 18-3 at the half. The Titans outscored them 10 to nothing in the in the third quarter uh, to make this game a lot closer, but the Ravens did end up closing it out, uh, winning it 24-16 with two fourth-quarter field goals. Um, and then you have the Commanders against the Falcons. The Commanders were up 17-10 at the half. They were up 24-10 at the end of the third quarter. The Falcons scored a touchdown, went for the, went for the two-point conversion, did not get it. Um, But then they had three different drives where their defense had a stand against Washington and they just needed to drive down the field, score the touchdown, get the two-point conversion, and it would have tied the game. Uh, They did not score on any of those three drives. So the commander's defense responded to the Falcons' defense uh, playing strong. And now you have both of those teams at 3-3. I don't really know how because they both don't feel like they're very good, but somehow they're both 3-3. We will see what happens with them in the rest of the season. Obviously, Washington... Uh, in a much tougher divisional race uh, than Atlanta is, uh, with the Eagles and the Cowboys at the top there, rather than having the Saints and the Buccaneers at the top of your division, if you're the Falcons. Uh, But regardless, the Seahawks and the Bengals also played a close game. Like I said, the Bengals won 17-13. I went into depth with that one earlier. Uh, The Browns won 19-17. It took them a while to get going on offense with P.J. Walker under center, but their defense was firing on all cylinders all game long, like it has all season. And they escape with the 19-17 victory to get to 3-2 and two on the season, which is very important because they are in a tough division. Uh, the Ravens are 4-2. and two. The Steelers were on by, but I believe they're also 3-2 and two, like the Browns are. So there are some tough teams in that division. Uh, and obviously the Bengals are also at 3-3. Three and three, So it would be tough to go down to 2-3 and three, uh, on the season when they haven't really played too many divisional games yet. Um, but fact of the matter is, if they had lost to the 49ers, there would have been no shame in it. But instead, they did beat the 49ers, and now we have one less undefeated team. And I will get to what happened to the other undefeated team later. Um, but the Raiders beat the Patriots 21-17. Look, I didn't I didn't watch this game. I'm not going to lie. I know that Max Crosby sealed it with a safety um, for the Raiders, but I was busy doing other things because why would I watch the Raiders and the Patriots? These two teams are not that good. Uh, the Patriots now 1-5 on the year, a contender for the worst team in the league. I don't think they are, but they're a contender. Um, and then you have the Bills, who really 
lollygagged for a while against the Giants, didn't score a single point until the fourth quarter. But the fact of the matter is, the Giants were only up six to nothing uh, at the half. They were only up six to nothing at the end of the third quarter, and you just felt like the Bills really only need one drive against the New York Giants, and they're going to win this game, which is crazy to say, but it was true. Um, they did get that drive to go to make it 7-6, to six, and then the Giants actually responded, got a field goal, made it 9-7. to seven. Uh, But then the Bills scored one more time and held the Giants, albeit literally and figuratively, um, because they did hold Darren Waller and it wasn't called. Um, but they held the Giants to the last second goal line stand, and instead it was the Bills who came out victorious. There were some bad moments for the Giants in here. They, uh, they ran the ball with 14 seconds left or 12 seconds left, no timeouts. At the end of the first half, when they probably could have thrown it a few times from the one-yard line, they didn't get it, and instead they walked away with no points. They didn't even get the field goal out of it. Probably made a big difference in this game, because if they had had a field goal there or a touchdown, they would have won because they would have only needed a field goal later. Um, But the fact of the matter is the Bills escaped with the win. Uh, They continue to play down or up to their opponent, but not much beyond that level, and that's really scary when you consider how that goes in the playoffs. So I'm not really... Very inspired by the Bills last few weeks. Um, But you know what? At least they didn't do what the Eagles did this week. The Eagles lost to the Jets 20-14. Jalen Hurts with a costly, costly interception. The Jets, excuse me, the Eagles were up 14-9 at the half. uh, And the Jets did a good job holding them down in the second half on defense. Did not allow any points in the second half. But Jalen Hurts, while the Eagles were just trying to seal the game, threw into double coverage and got got a pass picked off that the Jets then returned all the way to the 7- or 6-yard line. Uh, the Jets scored on the very next play, uh, and at that point, the game was 14-12. to 12. They got the two-point conversion to make it 20-14, to 14, and that was the final score. A gutty win for the Jets, but definitely not one that the Eagles should have given up. But regardless, we now have no undefeated teams left in the NFL. Um, probably would make the argument that out of the 5-1 and one teams, the Chiefs are the best, maybe the 49ers. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, speaking of... The Chiefs, there is one team who beat them at the beginning of the season. That team is on the most impressive teams of the week list, and that those are the Detroit Lions. That is, I don't know, the Detroit Lions. That's who I'm talking about. They won 20-6 against the Buccaneers. I talked about it. I am very impressed with how their defense has played. Yes, they might have had Mike Evans, or left Mike Evans wide open, and the pass got knocked down at the line of scrimmage, um, and maybe that would have been a 90-yard touchdown for the Buccaneers, and that could have changed the game. But... The Lions still did a great job not letting the Buccaneers convert anything in the red zone uh, and ended up and ended up behind a strong Jared Goff performance, uh, winning this game 20-6, to a pretty comfortable win for the Lions. Jameson Williams had also looked pretty good in this game, looked more like a pre-ACL tear Alabama Jameson Williams rather than, you know, a little bit of a slower version, one that couldn't um, exactly stop on a dime as well. There was one specific route where he completely shook his defender by stopping um, in the middle of his streak and coming back for a curl route. Uh, unfortunately, the pass was kind of bad. Not not batted down, but rushed by Goff, and he couldn't get it there. But look, the Lions have looked really good. That game was without Jameer Gibbs, uh, and David Montgomery was lost in the middle of the game. So the fact that the Lions were able to go on the road, beat a division divisional leader, albeit it is that division that the Buccaneers are in, um, but... The fact that they were able to go on the road and get that win without basically having any running backs active and without Amon Ross St. Brown for a good portion of the game, I think. Um, Or I guess, no, that that was the last few weeks that he was out. He was healthy this week. 
Um, that, look, it's just impressive. That That's all it is. Th- their defense has been impressive. They've been impressive. They're 5-1, and one and they deserve to be. Um, and then you have the Jaguars, who I'm impressed with their offense kind of exploding in this game, 37-20. to 20. They scored two touchdowns within like a 15-second or 20-second span at some point in this game. Kind of ridiculous that the Colts would allow that, but it is the Colts. Uh, they were also up 31-6 to 6 heading into the fourth quarter, so it even looked closer on the end of the game scoreboard than it actually was in reality. Uh, which you don't find yourself saying often for 37 to 20 games, but the Jaguars did dominate the Colts all game long. It just happened to get a little closer at the end. Uh, And then you have the Rams, who looked more like the vintage Super Bowl winning Rams. A lot of runs. Kyron Williams had over 150 yards in this game, and then he did leave with an injury at the end um, and might not play next week. But he was was very, very strong in this game. The Rams overall just established the run and kept going with it, won this game 26 to 9. Uh, like I said, it was a vintage Rams game. They were down 9-6 to six at the end of the first half, uh, but their defense came alive, shut down the Cardinals uh, in the rest of that game and ended up with that 26-9 victory. Uh, but that is all I have for the NFL. Uh, obviously, there was also that Cowboys-Chargers game. That was a pretty close game, um, and it was a good one on Monday Night Football, but I honestly forgot to mention it. It was a close game. Cowboys got a good victory, uh, but that's all I have for the NFL. I will move on now to the MLB, starting with a little bit of an ALDS and NLDS recap. I'm just going to say it quickly and then move on to the ALCS and NLCS with kind of my predictions, although the way that they that these series have started, it's kind of it's kind of hard to predict because it has already been the middle of the series every single time that we've had a podcast. Uh, but anyway, the Rangers swept the Orioles uh, in three games. Game three was the only game we didn't talk about. The Rangers won 7-1. They just dominated the series. I have nothing else to say about it. They've looked good all postseason long. Uh, the Astros beat the Twins in four games. They went on the road, won both of the games in Minnesota. They won the first game 9-1. to They won the second game 3-2, excuse me. Um, and look, they looked like the Astros of the past. The Twins did get their, uh, you know, their elusive playoff victory, their elusive playoff series victory. But that will be all for them. They will have to come back and try again next year as the Astros make their seventh straight ALCS. And turning to the NLDS, the Phillies beat the Braves in four games. Uh, last we left off from this progress, the Braves, or, or in this series, I guess, the Braves had won game two and Orlando Orcia had dropped the attaboy Harper comment and uh, didn't go very well because Harper got mad, uh, stared him down after he hit two home runs in game three as the Phillies won 10-2. to and then Arcia was caught making fun of the crowd when uh, the Braves were up against the Phillies, uh, one to nothing in Game Four. But then the Phillies scored the last, fi- the final three runs of the game, and ended up winning three to one, eliminating the Braves for the second year in a row in the NLDS. And the Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers three to nothing. Uh, the Diamondbacks had four homers in one inning off Lance Lynn, no offensive production for the rest of the game. Dodgers had four or five singles in an inning that led them to get uh, their two runs. And Chris Taylor hit a ball that would have been a home run in Dodger Stadium and would have tied the game in the ninth inning, but instead turned into a great catch by center fielder Alec Thomas uh, for the Diamondbacks because different dimensions. It was a home run in 22 stadiums, but obviously Chase Field, not one of them, a very, very large, spacious ballpark. Um, And in the end, the Diamondbacks, they got it done. The Dodgers, big hitters, didn't really show up. Freddie Freeman said before the postseason the Dodgers thought they'd be fine if if they just got the big hit in those games. They didn't get the big hit in any game. Uh, they didn't slug very well. They didn't hit well with runners in scoring position. And as a result, they are exiting early once again at the hands of an NLDS team that they, or excuse me, an NL West team that they won the division by, by more than over, by more than like 15 games. 
Uh, whatever that stat is, I know it's been like the last three years that the Dodgers have been 16, 15 or more wins better than the teams they've lost to, and that's like the first time. That's like one of five times that it's happened. It's like the biggest win differentials for teams that lost a series, um, and the Dodgers are now three of the five. I, it's hard to articulate without just seeing the stat, but the fact of the matter is the Dodgers choked again, didn't get the big hit. Um, but it's been a while since that has happened, and now we are on the ALCS and NLCS. Uh, the Rangers already lead the Astros 2 to nothing. They won game one 2 to nothing behind a great start by Jordan Montgomery. Uh, Aroldis Chapman almost had another Houston moment. Uh, where Alex Bregman hit a ball that was very, very deep, but Evan Carter made a leaping catch, and it actually turned into a double play instead of a game-tying two-run home run in the eighth. Uh, and that really swung the game, although obviously the Rangers were already up 2 to nothing anyway. Then in Game 2, the Rangers got out to a 5-1 to one lead, and the Astros closed it down. They made it close in the end, but the Rangers did escape with the 5-4 victory. Uh, I thought the Rangers were going to win the series in the first place. I wanted them to win the series in the first place, um, but that didn't mean it was going to happen. In the end... They are leading two to nothing, and they haven't even played at home yet. So they've played one home game all, see, all, all postseason, and they are undefeated so far. So look, they can get even better. We've never, we've basically never seen them uh, at home, other than that seven to one victory over the Orioles. Um, but I don't think they're going to sweep this series. I think the Astros are going to come back and win a game or two. Uh, but Jordan Alvarez being under the weather certainly doesn't help, even though he hit a home run anyway. Um, and the fact that the Astros have had their top starters on the bump and they haven't been able to do anything is also not a great sign for them, but I do, I do think the Rangers are going to win. They are my World Series pick for now, um, but we will see how many games it takes them to win. Uh, then in the NLCS, the NLCS, I should say, the Phillies lead the Diamondbacks 1-0. Three home runs in the first, three solo home runs in the first two innings. Kyle Schwarber hit a, hit a solo homer off Zach Gallon on the first pitch of the game. Um, and the Phillies won game, five, won game one 5-3 to, to lead 1-0. Uh, a great performance by Zach Wheeler in that game. He has been one of the best postseason pitchers for the last few years. He's been very, very clutch for the Phillies. Um, and overall, their starting rotation has been crazy. We'll see in a longer series how that holds up. But, I mean, Taiwan Walker and Christopher Sanchez haven't even pitched once. So they definitely have more depth to tap into. Um, whereas the Diamondbacks, I don't know how well their pitching depth is going to hold up. Uh, it's really been Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen that have been carrying their pitching staff all year long. And I don't know if Brandon Fott is going to continue to hold up against a Phillies team that hits a lot of home runs and scores a lot of their runs via solo homers. Um, fact of the matter is, Fott has been great when he's been able to limit the home run. I'm not so sure this is a lineup he's going to be able to do that against. Uh, so the Diamondbacks really have to get the game with Merrill Kelly on the mound. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but I do think the Phillies are going to win that series. Also, I, I'm looking at a Phillies-Rangers World Series, and I think the Rangers are going to win that series. Um, and I say that because I, these series end so quickly that we, we can never predict them. Um, so I, I want to put that out there before that happens, even though there's still a week of stuff to a week of games to unfold. But regardless, that wraps this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 24th, where we will once again, look at my weekend predictions, uh, look at week eight of college football review, NFL week seven action, and have our review of MLB playoff action in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is updated every Monday. My MLB power rankings are now out of season, but my college basketball uh, bracket will be back soon, maybe next Wednesday, maybe the Wednesday after, um, but I believe I'm going to switch that to Wednesdays in the future now that the podcast is on Tuesdays. Obviously, last year was on Tuesdays, uh, but 
We will see. That is probably going to be next Wednesday, maybe the Wednesday after. I'm almost done with it. I just want to make sure that it's all right and also not attach myself to a timeline. And at the same time, wait for some preseason news because sometimes things happen. You know, there are secret scrimmages going on that might change my mind a little bit. Uh, move a team up or up up or down two or three spots. Um, but that also with my picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted as always on Thursday. And my predictions for the entire college football season where you can see if I'm generally in the right ballpark uh, now that we're near the end of this, now that we're past the midpoint of the season. Um, but all that on our website, 4th24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.